My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Hull. Jeff has been something of a mentor at a distance for me for some time. His fantastic book, Flex, The Art and Science of Leadership in a Changing World, uh, introduced me to a sort of intuitive sense I had about leadership that I hadn't heard anyone quite put into words in the way that, that uh, Jeff did. And it's a fantastic book that looks at the distinction between alpha leadership and, and what Jeff calls beta leadership. We'll, we'll dive into those distinctions in the conversation, but suffice it to say that it's a wonderful invitation to a way of leadership that allows for more possibility, for more inclusivity, for more perspective taking and diversity. Uh, and so just that as a starting point was really exciting. But when Jeff said yes to my invitation to come on the show, what we dialed into was the recognition that even that binary between alpha and beta was in its own way a constraint. And we started to dive more deeply into the question of what it is to be a meta leader, M-E-T-A, a meta leader, as opposed to an alpha leader or a beta leader, rather a leader who draws from all of the different perspectives available to show up in a given moment in a way that is in service of the highest and greatest good. It's really fun to play with these ideas in real time uh, with Jeff. He's likely working on a book that will expound upon and articulate those ideas really rigorously and beautifully in a way uh, that sort of emerge in the show. So if and when that book comes, I'll be sure to share it with you. But in the meantime, if you care at all about uh, leadership, about human development, about what it is to show up to the current moment with new perspectives and with new sense of what's possible, then this conversation is for you. So let's get settled in. <sighs> and hear what Dr. Jeffrey Hall has for us. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you. This conversation has been a few months in the making. I think we initially talked about coming together in 2020, and now here we are already in February of 2021. But uh, I often like to tell a bit of an origin story about my guests for listeners, in addition to the intro they've already heard, because I had a chance to hear you speak and see you speak back when, back when we were safely allowed to meet in three dimensions with lots of people. <laughs> At the uh, Institute of, of Coaching conference that, uh, that you helped put together along with Margaret and Carol and Susan and the rest of the IOC team. And at around that time, you had just released 
what was then your, and I guess still your most recent book, although you have another one in the works, which we'll talk about a bit, I think. This amazing book, Flex, which was a, a really beautiful and elegant articulation of a new approach to leadership that invited leaders, not, not only invited them, but kind of helped them realize and helps them realize that the old style command and control, hierarchical, the decider, the, the charismatic leader, like all of those stories about leadership that we've been living with for so, for so long simply aren't up to the task of complexity that we're facing right now. And that there are actually other ways of leading that, um, that you have seen in action. Uh, and it was just a really inspiring session because it was this it it anchored for me, it anchored in, well, what do we, if this doesn't work anymore, what do we do next? Right. And, uh, and I just, just really want to thank you for kind of opening that space in the way that you have and for writing about it and speaking about it so elegantly. Well said. No, thank you. You are, you summarized it beautifully. <laughs> well, maybe what we can do is just I, I, like, I'm aware because we sort of had the conversations before the conversation of recording. I'm aware that you're thinking deeply already about what's, if, if flex represents the, the, the next stage or level or step towards the kind of leadership the world is asking of us right now, you then are that like you taking that step has now started to help you realize that there's maybe another step yet to take. And I want to get there, but maybe before we do, we could really land at this first step. Uh, like you help for people who are like, what are you, Andy, what are you talking about right now? What do you mean this different kind of leadership? Maybe you could just help us unpack that a bit and talk in whatever way you feel called to right now about what the book articulates. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, it's challenging to summarize it in uh, just a few sentences, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, your your work your session was like ninety minutes or something. So yeah, I we have, don't have time for the ninety minute session yeah, today. But but I've had some practice, so yeah. I can try to give it a I can give it a shot. Um, I think it's a confluence of two or three key streams of change that for someone who's in the executive coaching world, you know, supporting and helping develop top leaders or next generation leaders that this, these streams kind of all came together for me a few years ago. Mm. And I noticed this almost uh, like streams coming together and then forming a wave. Mm. And at the end of the day, I think I would call it at this point, a tsunami <sighs> of change. And especially, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, the silver linings of the pandemic. I mean, it's been a terrible, difficult time for a lot of folks and, mm. I have been touched in my family and I certainly have so much compassion and support for those that have been struggling. Um, so not to take away from that, but there is a silver lining, which is that that has in some ways, this, pro this disruption that we've all experienced has accelerated some of the changes that I wrote about just before the pandemic that were already underway. Mm. So to summarize, one of them is organizational design, you know, organizations, are in a sense kind of coming apart at the seams. They have been attached to this narrative called a pyramid or a hierarchy uh, for centuries, especially from the Western civilization. 
And yet now we have democratized networks. Now we have interconnectivity. Now we have you know, instantaneous communications. And so this whole idea that it's all, all the information and all the power is locked up at the top, it's like it's mm-hmm. sitting on the top of a mountain, mm-hmm. is sort of becoming irrelevant. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's one major shift that organizations are just, <clears throat> in a sense, kind of crumbling in their former um, way of being, in their former mm-hmm. structuring. The second stream that really evident to me in my practice was the variety of individuals stepping into leadership roles. You know, when I first started coaching, if I were given an assignment with a female or with a non-white individual, um, you know, an African-American man or somebody from China, China or something, that would be unheard of. I mean, I would be like, oh my God, this is so exciting. I get to coach someone that's not a typical white man, you know, but that was a rarity. Now, I think it's almost the other way around. I Mm -hmm. mean, this is one of the things I wanted to do, note to really uh, emphasize in my book is that the leadership demographics have just changed dramatically and they're continuing to accelerate to Mm -hmm. diversity, Mm -hmm. multiculturalism, Mm -hmm. women, people of color, people of multicultural mosaic backgrounds, And you can't just expect them all to take on the mantle of the patriarchal white, you know, right, white guy riding a horse. I mean, that's just not going to happen, nor should it. Mm. So demographic changes, organizational changes. And then finally, equally important, I think, is that the whole purpose of business is evolving. You know, the idea that everything is profit driven and that organizations should be sort of static environments where people get a job and they stay there for X number of years and they have annual performance reviews and all that. I mean, that is Mm -hmm. not leading in today's world to innovation. It's not leading to high engagement. It's not leading to collaboration. So, you know, the need for organizations to really rethink their value proposition. So think about those three things happening already and then the speeding up of all three of those things. And then there are many, probably many more. And you have a convergence on what I think is a different kind of leader that needs to step up. And that's where I wanted to point to in creating a framework for what I call a beta style leader, Mm. which Mm. is, As opposed to an alpha. As opposed to your traditional, yeah, Yeah. uh, alpha leader, which we all know and love. Um, (laughs) Or not in some cases. Well, we love them when it's an emergency. We love them when there's urgency. We love them. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely times. And you you have, having read the book, you know, I do not dismiss the value Mm. of authoritative leadership. Mm. I just wanted to make it clear that the world is no longer a one trick pony environment and we don't, we're not going to succeed with one trick pony leader, charismatic autocratic leaders. I mean, it's an irony that you see that on some political stages, but you know, the other side of it is also true that the most successful organizations and cultures and countries in the last 10, 12 months have often been read, led by women. Mm. have often been led Mm. by introverts, have often Mm. been led by people that are more consensus driven. So, you know, despite what you see on the news, this tsunami of change is actually happening. 
And I was seeing it in my practice. I was seeing it in the research I was conducting at the Institute of Coaching around what other people are seeing. Hmm. And so that's what led me to want to articulate what, it, what are some of those key competencies or uh, capabilities that the new generation of leaders are bringing to organizations. And it looks like collaboration. It looks like um, leading, not just from the, from the neck up, mm. not just cerebral, not just data, but actually emotionally available, vulnerable, humble, connected, compassionate, present, type of leaders that know when to be directive when necessary, but also know how to be receptive and create mm. an environment of psychological safety that mm. gets the best out of everyone. Mm. So, you know, all that to say that that's basically the intention that I worked from in creating my book was there is a need for a much broader spectrum of capabilities yeah. out of leaders. And there needs to be at the end of the day, a mindset or a narrative or what I would call a meme mm. where we all take on the mantle of leadership and we mm. don't, we don't try to do it the old fashioned way. We try to do it whatever way is required by the context so that we get the best out of everyone. Love it. So beautiful. And one thing that's coming up for me, which maybe you're, familiar with her if not you might it might be another sort of quiver quiver in your arrow of making the case for this beta leadership and the value of it but you pointed out that that alpha leadership has is really useful in certain contexts particularly when decisiveness and uh, fast response and kind of pointed directedness are all really necessary and there's a book called tribes by sebastian younger have you read this book I have not, but I yeah. have heard of it. Yeah, so it's worth a look in that he articulates more, he, he's focused more on like what brings groups of people together and how they function. Mm -hmm. But in particular, he tells a story in the book about uh, Chilean miners who get trapped underground. This was oh, in right. the news, like yeah. I can't remember, within the past decade. Yeah. And initially, you know, that kind of after the fact, they learned from the miners, what was it like down there? And initially the, the men and all men, but the men in this group who we might normally associate with those alpha qualities took charge. Okay. We need to find a way out. We need can, right. we've got, we've got this much dynamite. Can we blast through, you know, they're like, how do we get out of this? And they effectively tried every possibility until they realized that we are trapped. Mm -hmm. And the only way we're getting out of this is if someone from up above gets through to us. And in the meantime, we have to survive. And then, so then what happened naturally is that other men in the group started to step forward into what you might call a beta leader role to, to like elicit conversation and help, help kind of manage people's fear and start to figure out how to ration the food they had and sort of just like, okay, now we're no longer in emergency. Now we're in a new structure and we can't, we can't dynamite our way out of it. We have to instead collaborate our way through it. We have to come together. And it's it, to me, like, as you describe that distinction between alpha and beta, I'm like, oh, there it is right there yeah, that's great. with inside any group, even a group who we might as a, in a sort of stereotypical way, associate with all alphas, like all of these strong mining <laughs> men, right? right? Even inside of that group, there's a natural ability for people to take on different roles as needed. Yeah. 
No, I love that. In fact, that's probably, you know, I should have started with a story like that. <laughs> well, I wonder maybe as I share that story now, you've you've had a chance to to meet and learn from and observe and connect with and also coach and like help leaders who are already in this beta space in a really strong way or who realize they need to get there and either they have to figure out how to do it themselves or they have to figure out how to draw it out from the team that's already around them. Right. And I'm wondering if you have any stories or, or, or case studies or just kind of moments where this really came to life for you or, or, or for your clients in, in whatever way you're comfortable sharing. Oh yeah. I mean, and if you'll remember the opening story in my book is, is a classic alpha place environment, which was an orthopedic surgeon yeah. that I was coaching. Yeah. I mean, and if there's ever a time when you want an alpha leader, it's when you're in the operating room. Right? <laughs> I don't want a lot of consensus <laughs> when I'm being cut open. So, you know, the fact that this particular leader was super authoritative mm. at mm. 5.30 a.m., cutting open someone's shoulder to put them back together after a motorcycle accident yeah. in which I saw the blood spurt all over the floor and I almost passed out. I've <laughs> never seen so much blood in my life. Oh my you know, it was one of those moments where I remember thinking, thank God he's authoritative because he's got everybody doing what they need to do. Mm. And this is life and death, right? But it was that very same leader who four hours later, was coaching a group of young residents with empathy and listening mm. and curiosity, mm. quiet. Mm. None of that same energy of being kind of the boss. He, in fact, he did subtle things that I wasn't able to write about because my editor wanted, you know, get to the point. But subtle things like changing the chairs in the room so that they were equal. Mm making some of the conversations take place outdoors because it was summertime. And so they would go out and sit in the grass. This is a, the, the chief of surgery at a major hospital would go out and sit on the grass. Now, these little things don't sound like much, but when you're the leader and everyone treats you like some kind of God, and then that same day you're sitting in the grass in a circle with a group having a conversation that's more like coaching or support or, you know, empathy and listening. It's an amazing skill to be able to do that kind of flexible wow. leadership. And yeah. that is exactly why I wanted to write this book because it's not about either or it's about transcending those categories and being able to assimilate all of the above and using what's needed in the moment. And likewise, I have a couple of case studies of the opposite, where I was, for example, coaching a young Korean female, more introverted engineering leader, super, super talented, super, super smart. But her challenge was exactly the opposite. Mm. You know, she was struggling. Mm. She was given a global training job for a <laughs> major Fortune 50 company. And then she started to get feedback that she wasn't being directive enough. She's leading training sessions all over the world with these, you know, even then it was virtual. Well, to make a long story short, she was just the kind of person who really wanted to kind of stay in the background and let everyone take credit because she loved what she did and she, did, she didn't need to be in front. And it was hard for her culturally and in terms of her personality to try to become more directive 
But the punchline was that all she really needed to do was to do everything she did from the back, occasionally from the front, like speak up first, make sure that you get your voice heard early on. And so it, she, you know, she had to become her own champion. Mm. She didn't have to give up her collaborative consensus style, but it wasn't going to get her success because she did need to share her vision. She did need to be the boss. Yeah. And so, so, so it works both ways. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm tuning into, I love that is there's this, so you've articulated beta leadership as a kind of synthesis of these different elements. And it's like, okay, this is a kind of leadership that some people already naturally gravitate towards. Just like alpha leadership is a kind of leadership that some people already naturally gravitate towards. And they're both useful and relevant depending on the context. But what's really powerful is when you as a leader start to become conscious of those distinctions and have choice about when and where you step into alpha role or beta role. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's even more accelerated during this past year. I'll give you another real life example. So I had a client who was taking his team. He's a executive director of a nonprofit, a really incredible organization doing wonderful things in the world. And he was taking his team virtual as it was everyone. And, you know, he was struggling with creating psychological safety in, for his team in Zooms, you know, in a Zoom kind of environment. Mm, mm. And he is, in, in many ways, a beta-style leader. He loves consensus conversations. He's very much into brainstorming. But he was getting feedback from his team that they were feeling, you know, anxious, exhausted, stressed, mm. How many of us were feeling that sometime in the last six months, right? <laughs> and so he was like, I, I, I'm coaching him and he's like, well, what do I do, Jeff? Do I get to, do I get, I read your book and I think I'm more of a beta style leader. I'm like, do I get more, you know, bossy about it and tell people they have to step up and take care of it? And I said, well, what about using the best of your beta style and being vulnerable with the fact that you don't know what you need to do? Like mm -hmm. how... And he's like, yeah, but I'm the boss. I can't say that I don't know. And I said, okay, there's a, there's a story for you to dig into. What if you did say you don't know, and then you create enough psychological safety through your humility and your vulnerability that everyone feels the desire to help out and jump in? And maybe some of the strong, more directive folks will step up and be supportive and there'll be peer coaching and Anyway, you can tell where we're going. I mean, ultimately, yes. his honesty mm. and willingness to share that under these current circumstances, he was also a little lost, mm. gave, gave his entire team the opportunity to feel empowered, mm. to step up. Mm. Yeah, it's almost as if everyone, including the person sitting in the leader chair, is sort of stuck in the story that the leader has to have the answer and and in, and if the leader can, in those moments where the answer there simply isn't an answer that the team or the group or the tribe as it were has to create an answer together, the leader has to be the one who's willing to sort of create that space. Right. Otherwise, it starts to kind of happen under the surface, and people, uh, wow, our meetings aren't going where they need. You know, it's sort of like, look, I know our meetings aren't working. I also don't know how to make them work. 
I've never done this before. <laughs> right. we've, we've got to figure this out together. And then suddenly there's like this collaborative leadership space opens up. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. He's, yeah, lucky he, he's lucky he had you as your as his coach. Well, you know. Because some like, people might have been like, yes, you can't tell them you don't know the answer. Figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You're right. Don't say that. <laughs> None of the coaches I know would do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's uh, that's what I meant by the accelerated opportunity. Mm. Because, mm. you know, there's a way in which many of our leaders have sort of been thrown back on their heels this last six to nine months. Mm. And a lot of the old scripts and the old stories that they might have had about what it means to lead have uh, been sort of torn apart. And I, yeah. again, not taking away from the pain that this has caused a lot of us, but I do think there's an opportunity in there. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, I'm. St- I want to. I'm struck. I want to say one more thing, and then start to kind of talk about where what's next. But I'm struck within that silver lining you're describing in an acceleration a possible advantage that leaders might be able to become more conscious of are situations where it's clear and obvious in a way that things are not clear and obvious. It's almost like, oh, yeah, this is a pandemic. Of course I don't have the answer. I've never led it through a pandemic. Have you? You know, and everyone's like, no, I've never, you know, it's sort of just the context shifts so dramatically. This is what I'm hearing you saying. So tell me if this is right, that that actually naturally the space emerges for leaders who are stuck in alpha mode to, if they're, if they're conscious of it and aware enough of it to say, oh, alpha mode, we've tried, we're in the cave in Chile. We've tried to dynamite our way out. It's not going to work. We have six, eight, 10, 12 months ahead of us in this mode. At least we got to figure out how to do this differently. So it's almost like the context is in and of itself a sort of permission or an invitation to say, let's try something different. And then, and then the different is actually beta, beta style leadership. You've articulated what that difference could be. So it's like really beautiful to see that, that synergy. Yeah. And the core of it is the awareness that you point Mm. to the the Mm. self-awareness on the part of the leader Mm. that they have a particular narrative around what it means to be a leader or a particular set of behaviors Mm. or a particular set of habits and if they are not aware of them, they can't change them. Mm. Mm. But once they become aware of them and then recognize that that's all they are is a story, a habit, a behavior, it's not an identity, then it becomes an open book, like, wow. And that takes us sort of back to childhood. Like, you know, you you were not automatically a leader. You had to learn it. It's a skill and you got to learn it over and over and over again. And so that's where coaching can be incredibly helpful to mm. remind us all that we are on a learning journey mm. and that mm. we're never finished. Mm. And that's, you know, that's where the, hopefully the pandemic has given an opportunity for a lot of folks to yeah. realize, oh, we thought we had it nailed. No. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So then uh, you and I have talked offline about, and this is a beautiful, I think this actually, this is you modeling the learning journey. You shared with me this recognition that like, okay, I've articulated this different place to stand. Like we're over here in alpha, alpha. I want to show people that they can stand over here in beta and that, and that there's, 
the best leaders actually know, are aware, and can move fluidly between elements of both as needed, like your orthopedic surgeon example. Right. That's really, what agility is. That's the agility. Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful articulation of that. But you kind of, as you named it and saw it and got a view from it and sort of said to people who are in the in the trenches, like, hey, over here, here's a new plateau you can stand on and see things differently about what's up for your leadership. You also started to get a glimpse of another like kind of mountain to climb, maybe if we're going to use this plateau mountain metaphor of like, <laughs> oh, there's actually even more complexity here. There's actually even more, maybe if we, maybe there's like other letters in the Greek alphabet you start to use, but they're actually, there's more here. There's something deeper or wider or more expansive, even beyond this new, new vantage point I've just articulated with flex. And that's sort of, it sounds like you're deep in the, that, that, conceptualizing what that is and maybe starting to write about it and maybe even publishing a book about it in the next year or two, but maybe in a, in a sort of open and exploratory way, we could just, just dig into that a bit. What are you seeing in as what's next once if, if I'm a leader and I can be alpha and beta and I'm flexible and agile, you're saying, okay, great work. But you're not done yet. But you're not done yet. What are you seeing as what's next? What are you? What's emerging oh, for you? Definitely not yet. <laughs> you're definitely not done yet. In fact, <laughs> just getting started. Yeah, you're just getting started. Well done, right. Grasshopper. Now let, yeah, let exactly. the journey truly begin. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate the question because I think um, what I shared with you a couple months ago when we were setting this uh, the agenda for our conversation was that you know I too am on a learning journey. And I, too, am aware of streams of, um, in the scientific world, in the organizational world, in the engineering world, in the, you know, ecosystemic kinds of sustainability literature, that there's a lot of other threads coming together Hmm. that are pointing to the limitations of even my own framing of leadership. And Hmm. so to step back and say, okay, you know, I'm not finished. I have to, maybe I need to throw out flex and start all over again. (laughs) And I think that's what I said to you is like, well, I'm kind of over my own framework. (laughs) Um, And in a sense, it's true. Um, So just, just as a very tangible example, you know, and I actually already point to this in the book and at one point, but you know, these idea that we're made up of these bifurcated categories Mm. is Mm. already somewhat outdated in a, in a problematic way of framing like the idea that you're going to be either alpha or beta. I mean, that's like left brain, right brain, you know, where those categories are useful until they're no longer useful. Mm. Right. Mm. And so Mm. I'm even aware that it's great to raise our awareness around leadership um, cadence, leadership narratives, and that bringing for alphas to bring in this idea of a beta style or for betas to get in touch with their inner alpha, all of that's really valuable. And I will continue to talk about it and teach mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. but it's also limiting mm-hmm. um, because it's also still within sort of a traditional meme about what it means to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And if you bring in the streams of writing and thinking that are going on around um, what's going on with the planet, what's going on with the larger ecosystems, then what it means to be a leader in an environment where we are very quickly destroying the planet mm. with our societal uh, need for short-term profits, results, mm. 
you know, excavation mentality, um, the, the fact that nature basically exists for our use as opposed to recognizing that we're all part of it, (laughs) you know, we're like tearing down our own home. Hello. So, you know, when you start to bring those narratives into the definition of leadership, then even the categories of alpha and beta start to become limiting. And Mm. that's why I want to, in my current learning, I'm more of a student, but I also want to push my thinking and push my work with my clients to even a bigger narrative reflection. Mm. Um, What I'm calling meta leadership, which is how do we transcend these categories? How do we get out of silos? You know, one of my uh, expert friends who's a regenerative engineer and is absolutely brilliant. We start talking about systemic coaching. When there are colleagues in our space, Andy, you and I, where we work, who are writing about this, Paul Hawkins, Mm -hmm. um, Dave Clutterbuck, there are other people that are doing some really good work around systemic coaching and, and helping our clients have more of a systemic mindset, like seeing that as a leader or as a coach, you're within, you're operating within a system. It's not just the two of you. It's not just the organization. It's not just um, the nation state or the community. It's all sorts of nested communities and systems. And that as leaders, we we need to raise our awareness beyond all the different limited categories. Mm. But just to give you a taste of how complex it gets, even my friend who's an expert in systemic thinking said to me, yeah, but Jeff, even systems thinking is a narrative. And I'm like, (laughs) what? He said, even being aware of the systems is a system, right? You're, you're trying to look at it like a system, but you're trying to still step out of it as if you're not in it. And it's those kinds of things that are starting to really be rich. And that's, you know, whether you call it a spiritual awakening or moving beyond subject observer Hmm. mindset, Hmm. but just becoming aware that we are embedded in the system. Yes. And the categories. And that if we're going to develop new stories, new narratives that ultimately can sustain us, can sustain the planet, can bring us a sense of prosperity and connection and community, then we have to be willing to look at where our silos are rigid. They're no longer helpful. So that's what I mean by sort of even getting past alpha versus beta. And moving into something that I'm right now calling sense-making, which is, Mm. you know, leaders are really in the job of creating meaning, right? You're, what you're doing as a leader is you're creating um, an energy force around you with others Mm. focused on doing something or creating something or being something in the world that has some level of meaning for you. So exploring as a leader what is the meaning you're trying to generate and how does that impact impact all the different levels of systems that Mm. you engage with? So Mm. this is, you know, starting to move toward what I'm calling meta leadership. Yeah. And um, so that's just one example. Another example is, is for example, perspective taking, realizing that no matter what you're doing as a leader, you're coming in with a particular mindset. You have a particular perspective. And the more you can become aware of that, that's like all this word work that's being done on unconscious bias, mm. right? Mm. But the reality is we all have conscious bias. <laughs> Say we, more about that, yeah. 
we already have a judgment of what we want to accomplish mm. every single day, just the mm. minute you get out of bed. You know, mm. you, you already know what kind of food we like. We already know who we like and who we don't like. You know, human beings are judging, be, are judging beings. You have a perspective immediately. Yeah. Every minute of every day. Yeah. So if you're going to take a, if you're going to step back from that as a leader and have more of a meta mindset, the first step is to actually become aware of the fact that you do have a perspective and then recognize that you do think in binaries. That's hot. That's cold. That's black. That's white. I don't like him. I like her. Right. Oh, we don't like those people. Oh, we love those people. You know, that's all of what we do as human beings. And we won't get out of that story if we don't realize that we do it. Yeah. So those are just a couple of examples of um, what I'm pointing to and exploring around what we're beginning to call meta leadership. Uh, It's so exciting. I'm really glad you're thinking into the space and feeling into it. I wanted to underline one thing. Uh, around your friend's awareness that even even systems thinking is is a part of the system as it were (laughs) isn't that great right it's so great it's great and we're like we see that play it's called the observer observer effect in quantum physics this recognition that our attention on quantum phenomena on the physics of the universe when we pay attention that active attention impacts what happens to those quantum particles exactly right and so we kind of can't as much as we would like to, if we confuse our description of the system, the map of the system with the system, we're, we're losing sight of our own impact, our, the very observer effect. Just by making a map of the system, you know, here's the, here's the org chart, here's the people with informal authority, informal authority, here's, here's like, uh, you know, the stakeholders outside who want things from us. Like you make this map just by making the map and showing it to the system. And the system here is the other people who you work with that starts to change everything in the system. Right. right? And it's just sort of this inescapable embeddedness that your friend is pointing to. And what I hear you working with, as you then go to like, let's become conscious of our embeddedness, basically like I'm embedded in, I like her, I don't like him, that's hot, that's cold. Once we become conscious of that embeddedness, it sounds like you're pointing towards the ability to be less binary in our thinking, to actually hold many possibilities in front of you at the same time before before just defaulting to whatever your default is. Absolutely, yeah, you just said it perfectly. And in fact, if you, then you, then you map that to use the inappropriate term. Yeah. You translate that to leadership, right? That holding that awareness that whatever story you have is just that it's a story and it's, it's imbued with meaning. It's imbued with categories. It's imbued with value judgments. Those kinds of things are the way that we run our world or we run our organizations and they're not necessarily bad, but we don't, operate with an awareness of it Mm. we can't transcend it if we don't have an awareness of it Mm. Mm. my you know my favorite um, researcher in this space is Nora Bateson and you may be familiar with her work Um, I'm actually not no tell me more yeah the daughter of Gregory Bateson uh, Mm. writer Um, yeah she's created something um, a philosophy that she's doing teachings and writings about called warm data And what I like about this phrase, warm data, is that she's pointing to 
the limitations of our categorizing of data as fact, of data, of science as the objective reality, right? That, you know, we're so obsessed in our culture now with science and evidence and data and all of that, which is valuable. But what we do to the point we were talking about earlier is when we get attached to that way of framing things, Mm. that narrative, we're cutting off life. Mm. Life Mm. is not data. Mm. Life life is an experience. Life Mm. is nature doing its thing. Life is complex, you know, fractal. It's chaotic. And, you know, it's not... And it's another category, it's another set of categories like alpha and beta, right? Yeah. You know, it's not about not data. That's why she calls it warm data. Because she's saying, I'm not dismissing the importance of science or the importance of data. But what I'm doing is pointing to that we need more than just objective Mm. science. Mm. We need to de-objectify and incorporate ourselves into the conversation. And when she says ourselves, she's talking about context, texture, flavor, touch, body, somatics, nature, beingness, presence, like that all needs to be incorporated into the way we lead, not separate from the way we lead. Wow. And, I, and I can't even begin to do justice or work, <laughs> but um, I'm still a student myself. But this is, you know, this, this gets to the fundamental theme I think of meta leadership for me is around regen- what, what my colleague and others are calling regenerative thinking mm-hmm. or regenerative mm-hmm. mindset mm-hmm. that we, we need to see ourselves as leaders within nature, not separate from nature. Yeah. We need to learn. We need to be humble. We need to learn from the natural world because mm-hmm. we are part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm. And anything that we design, anything that we build, anything that we then um, choose to create or innovate should be about life affirming, not life destroying. Yeah. And that's a big change. Yeah. Right. That is a really, really big change. You know, I'll just give you one last quick example. My friend, I have a colleague who was a client who's creating a sustainable agriculture um, with, with uh, sustainable crops and sustainable feedstock for chickens. And it's all very well intentioned and he, and he's doing great work and he's a great guy, but I shared this with my friend who's called, you know, the expert that I know who's, who's 30 years old, by the way. So that's really where I'm learning, right? These guys are brilliant and young. Um, and I said to him, is, is this what you mean by regenerative work? And he said, he said, yeah, but they're just still killing all the chickens to eat them, aren't they? And I said, mm. yeah, you're right. That's true. They're mm. building sustainable agriculture to still eat tons and tons and tons yeah. of chickens. Yeah. But he said, yeah, it's helpful. Maybe we'll have chickens around longer than the next 20 years. And maybe there'll be better chickens but are we really looking deeply at the question of why we are cultivating chickens to eat at the, in the billions in the first place? Like, are we looking at the Oof. core questions, right? Oof. So, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's inspiring, Jeff. Yeah. I'm, it begins to throw you way back on yourself. Like, wow. Okay. Yes. There's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. In leadership. I'm, I'm okay. struck with, I mean, this is, such nuanced work, right? Like you and I are talking 
at we're, we're working right at the edge of meaning making right and our place in or our role or our vantage in nature which which seems to be paradoxically both like when we embrace that we are deeply embedded in nature new possibilities emerge and paradoxically we seem to uniquely be able to observe nature at least as far as we can tell unlike any other uh sentient being on this planet right. so our like observer powers have given us they're this sort of like it's like the fire from what is it prometheus like prometheus's fire is like our ability to observe and articulate and separate and categorize and and it's like just remarkable and the scientific method which which it sounds like Nora Bateson would totally endorse in terms of why it works is is like the a full expression of that power and when we believe that that power is reality when we make that mistake when we lose ourselves in that category that we've just created and think that it's the total description of what is we actually lose touch with our own embeddedness in nature. Oh, and we do much more than that. Yeah, and, and cause quite a lot of damage and destruction as a result of that. Yeah. And we may ultimately destroy ourselves yeah. if we're not if we don't wake up to the fact that what you just said is one hundred percent true. Yeah. It's our gift and our curse. Yeah. So and, I wonder and the change has to start with our awareness of that. Yeah. And then it has to be taken down from the Buddha clouds. And then put into the corporate offices. <laughs> okay, but no, so here's the challenge. <laughs> yeah, so this is the this is the nuance. I think I want to try in our last few minutes here to see if you can help us unpack some more. Right, like even the Buddha clouds in the corporate office is a sort of is a binary, a yep. useful categorization. Totally. Right, right, yep. and and like I might I might be able to meet somebody who's ready to have the conversation about why are we. Far, factory farming billions of chickens like why is that how we feed everyone right. right right and so when that when a person is ready to ask that question we as a meta leader to use your language need to be ready to meet them there yeah but but like when the person is only ready to ask the question of like why is my alpha leader style shit not working then we need to meet them at alpha alpha beta totally. so there's just this like like vast complexity that emerges like as a leader how do you hold the question of how best to meet the moment when the moment could demand so many sort of variations on, on what you could express as a leader? And I wonder how, you, how you're sitting with that or if you've sat with that question at all. Like, how do I move from alpha beta fluidity to like alpha meta, meta fluidity and everything in between, right? right? That sort of seems like to be what you're inviting us into. Yeah, no, I think you're asking a really powerful and valid question, which is getting back to the reminder of us as coaches that our work is to create a space of exploration, creativity, and learning that is a opportunity for our clients to take their awareness to a new level, to mm. take their practice, mm. to take their humanity. But we're not driving the bus, they are. And so our goal is to start where our, I mean, our intention and our success really depends on listening to where they are and starting mm. from that place. Mm. Mm. So I completely, yeah, the, it's not about steamrolling your CEO to say, you know, wake up and stop killing chickens. Like, no, um, I think you're absolutely nailing it when you said you, we start from wherever that 
individual or that group of individuals is in their story. Mm. Um, and mm. we support that and we looked for opportunities to help them expand that. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to write flex if four years ago someone had told me, Oh, this is a crock of shit. You need to be moving on to meta leadership. I would have been like, <laughs> I go there. Like, you know, yeah, that's a great insight. Yeah, yeah. You come to it when you do. And I'm glad I said, and, and not, but you, we are accelerating this process. Yeah. Right. We don't have the luxury anymore of, you know, it might have, I might have sat around on the laurels of Flex for the next five years, helping folks move along their leadership style from alpha to beta and back. And that's great. I'm not sure I have five years anymore. Mm. Mm. So what you're saying is true. We need to start from where people are. But what is also true in parallel, and it's a bit of a paradox, and we've got to get comfortable with these paradoxes, yeah. is that things are speeding up. And the pandemic showed us that time is of the essence. Yeah. So where we can catalyze, and I think that's probably the right word, where we can empower and catalyze a breakthrough in awareness mm. for our clients. Mm. 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 To me, there is a moral imperative to do yeah. that. Not to push, not to direct, not to be alpha coach. It's almost like to catch Right. Yeah. Like when the ground of meaning that you've been standing on and COVID is a great example of this, when that ground of meaning gets pulled out from under you, you feel like you're falling. You lose a sense of yourself, of your role. Like, I don't know how to lead virtually. What do I do? And, and a book like flex might be there to catch you. And that's the catch you need. Because now suddenly in the, lar in the kind of cultural collective space, there's actually wisdom there about, okay, well, when, when flex falls away, when you're alpha beta, that, even that fluidity is no longer serving because there's another catalytic event that disrupts things even more and you start to fall again. Well, actually, there have, there's already thinking and feeling around what does it mean to be even more fluid mm -hmm. and hold parity. And it's, so it's sort of like, I almost hear you saying like, Folks who are on the front lines, meet yourself where you are, meet your clients where you are, interrogate and explore your reality and expand it as best as you're able. And when life hits you by surprise and, and knocks your feet out from under you, know that there's actually even deeper wells of meaning and understanding that we have access to if we're, if we're ready. And we might not have a choice about when we're ready anymore. So like, let's, let's do the work we need to, to help catch as many people as we can. When well things said. Well said. Yeah. And, and it, and it kind of, you're reminding me of the old adage that when the student's ready, the teacher shows, Yes. Yeah. you know, I didn't know Nora Bateson's work. I didn't know uh, the listening society, um, which I also recommended to you. Yes. And I read by the way, and it's fantastic. So thank you. And, for that uh, Charles Eisenstein, the ascent yeah. of humanity. I mean, yes. These read that are, one too. Thank you. <laughs> amazing. Well, amazing you, stuff. Yeah. So think, think about to, to summarize, you think about the chapter two or three of my book. I talked very clearly about developing a fluid and an agile communication style, right? That's one of the, that's one of the areas. And on the one end, you have a data focused communicator. We all know those types, PowerPoints, you know, lots of rational data, lots of facts and figures. And on the other end, you have the storyteller, 
the inspiring, heartfelt people who can share analogies and metaphors and are more poetic, right? And I set it up in my book as kind of categories, alpha and beta, and you ultimately recognize which one you are naturally, and then you look to expand, and that's the core theme of the book. So that's all great. And then a teacher named Nora Bateson came into my life through my friend who's 30-year-old genius. And I started reading her book, and it's about something called warm data. Well, what is warm data? If you think about it, warm data is the transcendence of my two categories. Mm, mm, mm. She's, she's saying data is touchable, eatable. It's part of real world. It's not separate. It's not rational. It's emotional. It's connected. It's tactile. And she's putting the two things together. And so in that sense, her whole view of data and her books are filled with poetry and then science and then poetry and then science. Wow. And it's like, it's all, it, yeah, it's like, okay, when you're ready, you can even transcend those categories. So that's what I mean at the end of the day by meta leadership. Yeah. Are we ready to be aware of the categories and then move forward beyond the categories that we have created ourselves anyway. And I think when we're ready, when the client's ready, when I'm ready, when you're ready, we all, we're all on our journey. I I feel so blessed because the universe all of a sudden puts the teacher sort of right in front of you. Oh, by the way, you should read this. Or, Oh, by the way, you might want to talk to this person. It's like, Oh, wow. (sighs) And then we're off. Yeah. so 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 I'm still an optimist. Because in the space of all the breakdown that we've experienced, all the disruption that we're experiencing, there is a potential for breakthrough Mm. to a new story, a new narrative, a new way of being, a new way of connecting. And it does feel to me that that's what happens. And so the fact that it's speeding up, maybe that's a good thing. We're going to get to the other side of this Mm. thing. Mm. Even mm. faster than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jeff, what a great place to land. Thank you for that optimism. And here's to lots of breakthroughs on the other side of these breakdowns. Thank you. I'll drink to that. And yeah. thank, you, thank you for giving me an opportunity to practice sort of this conversation. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I'm not sure I would go this far in some of my more traditional corporate podcasts. But yeah. I know you're interested, interesting, and committed to bringing sort of this new level of inquiry to your listeners. So mm. excited to join you. I love this, just the fact that it's called the wonder. <laughs> I was like, I'm there. Got to join. Gotta be in. <laughs> Thank you. It was a great, it was great to be in this space with you. I can't wait. Maybe in a, in a year or two, when the book is ready, we can have conversation part two. Uh, in the meantime, if people want to find find your work, where should they go? Easiest place to look is at my website, jeffreyhull.com. Great. Um, or the Institute of Coaching.org. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, or LinkedIn, you know. Yeah. I'm, pr- I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> Great. And we'll include all that stuff in the show notes. But I'm really grateful for this conversation, for all that you do for the field of coaching and uh, excited to be on the ride with you as, as we understand better what's next in terms of leadership and evolution and humanity. Likewise. Thank you for doing this. It's uh, been great fun. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening in. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. 
This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.